I'm Lance Key, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is partnering with the John Maxwell Company to bring interviews like Episode 402 with Jason Stoughton and Episode 403 with Jeff Henderson. And also to make you aware of the awesome leadership event called Live to Lead coming October 8th, 2021 to Atlanta, Georgia. Go to L2LATL.com for more information. And when you go to check out, use the code K12. Get a special discount. See you there. Hey, Steve here. And my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmiletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Leslie Coplow. That's right. She's back with her sequel to Lila in the Land of the Littles. Today we're talking about Jasmine's Big Idea, a story for children at the time of COVID. Awesome talk. Lots to learn. Thanks for listening. And, and by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you would rate and review the podcast by going to my website, stephenmiletto.com slash reviews and go in there and rate and review. Would you please? That would be so nice. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. So uh, take a look. Go to my website, stephenmiletto.com slash sponsors. Find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. You know, I've had the good fortune to connect with several representatives from Kitcaster, a podcasting booking agency. They reached out to me on behalf of their clients who want to spread the word about their book, their story, their ideas, their businesses, and so much more. Kitcaster has been such a pleasure to work with, and I always enjoy working with their clients. Now, Kitcaster is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, which is really cool. And, and I got to ask you, have you been wanting to tell your story on podcasts? Podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand. If you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with Kitcaster. Go to kitcaster.com slash TLLK12 or go to my webpage at stephenmiletto.com slash sponsors, click on the KidCaster logo, and apply for a special offer for just the friends of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. Leslie Coplow is a clinical social worker, teacher, and author who lives in New York City. 
She's the director of emotionally responsive practice at Bank Street College, founder of Networks for Schools at Heal, and a psychotherapist in private practice. Leslie is the author of several books, including Where Ragdolls Hide Their Faces, The Way Home, Unsmiling Faces, How Preschools Can Heal, Creating Schools That Heal, Bears, Bears Everywhere, Supporting Children's Emotional Health in the Classroom, Tanya and the Tobo Man, Politics Aside, Our Children and Their Teachers in Score-Driven Times, and Emotionally Responsive Practice, A Path for Schools That Heal. On episode 378 of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, we talked about your children's book, Lila in the Land of the Littles, and today we're focused on book two in the series, Jasmine's Big Idea, a story for children in the time of COVID. Leslie, thanks so much for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Thank you, and thank you for having me back. Hello, everyone. Well, glad to have you back. And, uh, you know, last time on episode 378, we talked about your book, uh, Lila in the Land of Littles, like I said. And today we're talking about your second book in the series, Jasmine's Big Idea, a story for children in the time of COVID. But before we go there, let's let's talk about this. Um, you're the director of uh, Emotionally Responsive Practice at Bank, Bank Street College. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, our program collaborates with schools, early childhood programs, um, agencies, any entity that wants to support the emotional well-being of children and teachers and parents in school settings. Um, and it's a really good time to get that kind of support because the pandemic has caused so much loss and so much social and emotional isolation. And what we know about that is that that builds risk for depression and antisocial behavior as children grow if we don't attend to it now. Um, and a lot of what we do in emotionally responsive practice is find ways to decrease social and emotional isolation and increase connection and empathy in school settings. Um, and it's an amazing program for them. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing. That's really cool because you have you have a lot going on. You got to, um, no, a lot going on, which is really cool. The, so let's let's go to your books and uh, um, yeah. Why'd you write the series that starts with Lila in the Land of the Littles and then now Jasmine's Big Idea? Okay. Well, I wrote the series because I was working from home, like everyone still am, and was home for so many hours and I love to write and I love to do art. And art is therapeutic for me. So I decided to write a story that I wish I had seen somewhere to read to the children that I work with, but I didn't see it. So I decided to write it, um, which would be what it's been like for children during this time in story form in a way that sort of reflects their experiences. Um, and I decided to collage for the illustrations because I love to collage. And it felt like a really good time to put things together that um, create imagery for what we're all experiencing. That's very cool. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, and just a side note, I mean, one of the things that I like about your stories is that they feel like they're they're about kids, not adults lecturing kids. It, instead, it feels like it's about kids and uh, and how they interact with what's going on. And I and I really like that. And and I think that's neat that you've been able that you're able to create that feeling. I think my stories come from having heard so many stories from children over the years, and also you know seen their play and know developmentally how they take things in. 
So it, I can weave that together in a story form, um, which I think children are always receptive to story. And so are adults. Stories create empathy. Um, and I, I love that medium. That's awesome. The, uh, so who's your target audience? I mean, are, are the books for the kids or the books for the adults who have kids? Well, the books are for the kids. I would say typically like four to eight is a good age range for these books. But I think the books help parents because parents are struggling to figure out how to put this into some form that their kids will understand. And, and the books kind of do that. And I think it brings relief to parents to be able to read something that resonates for the kids. It doesn't deny what's been going on, but it invites kids to talk about or play about their version of what it's been like. I like that. That's, that's very good. Uh, it, you know, uh, and then definitely is so because that's what it, uh, I mean, both stories get into uh, this, this idea that we're going to talk about in just a little bit of play and using their imagination and all of that. And it just feels just like it. So, uh, so before we go any further, cause we're gonna talk about Jasmine's big idea, the, the book, second book in the series can you just kind of give everybody a recap of Lila in the land of the littles. Sure. So Lila um, is little and her siblings are much older and they spend all day in Zoom school on computers and her mom is working from home and everybody has a, a, a taking up all the space in the house to do things that they have to do. And she feels lonely and wants her friends and wants to be able to go back to her school. Um, and she feels frustrated. So like kids do, she's being kind of emotional and <laughs> demanding of her mom's attention and her mom decides to give her something to play with that her own mother had given her when she was little she gives her a cup of buttons and a basket of cloth and lila looks at her like what is this and what am i supposed to do with it and her mom can't really answer because she has to go on a work call so lila ingeniously invents a space for herself and uses the buttons and a cloth to create a make-believe world where she can make sense of some of the things that have happened for her during the pandemic. Um, and she invents what I like to call symbolic solutions. You can't change what's going on in the big world, but you can make believe what you wish would happen. You can feel a sense of empowerment by doing that. And that's basically how children deal with adversity. If they can play, they can make the big world that's overwhelming smaller and down to size, and they can create their own outcomes. And that's what Lila does in the Land of the Littles. Very nice. And it's a great story. And it really, it really feels like we got the kid, the, the, the children, you know, the child having, uh, you know, using her imagination to play and, and, uh, and dealing with the, what's going on in the world in her, in her own way, which is cool. Thank you. The, uh, so, uh, so, okay. So now let's, let's shift and let's talk about Jasmine's big idea. I mean, you're like, I've made some comments about this. Your books find your characters using their imagination to deal with their world in the land of COVID. In this case, Jasmine has a bag of buttons and other treasures and has to find a place to play. Can you talk a little about your focus on kids using their imaginations? 
yes. But first I should have said that Jasmine is Lila's best friend and she's in the first book. She's the kid that Lila really wants to play with. And at the near the end of the story, they find um, an opportunity to play outside together. Um, and Jasmine hasn't been able to go to school because her grandma lives in her house and her family's protecting her grandmother pre-vaccination because elderly people are more at risk. So she has been home for the whole time, whereas Lila got to go a few times a week. So I follow Jasmine's story in the next book. Um, and Jasmine has baby siblings who are sleeping and a mom who's working and a grandma who's making food and Jasmine has a teddy bear that she's kind of talking with about what's going on and what she wishes. Um, and she decides that she can't figure out where she can play. Lila had given her some of her buttons and some of her cloth because Lila said, here, you can do this while I'm at school. So Jasmine wants to do that, but she's not really sure where she can do that or what to do with it but it's snowing as it was in New York City this winter. And Jasmine looks out the window and gets this big idea. She can go outside and she can play with the snow in some way that will work for her. So she builds snow friends outside. She builds Lila and she builds another kid who was in her class last year and she uses the buttons and the cloth to make them come to life in ways that resonate for her. Um, and it's what kids do when they have something to do it with, and they have space, and they have time. Um, that's the way they make the world work for themselves. And she has an amazing you know, family that's very nurturing. And when she comes back in, her grandma's busy taking care of her, making sure she's not cold and feeding her. And when her mom comes downstairs, she shows her mom her snow friends and talks about how lonely she's been. And her mom shows her on the calendar that now her grandma has an appointment for a vaccine. And that might change everything for Jasmine in terms of her ability to socialize and go to school. It's so very real feeling. And it's just, it's just like, uh, I mean, from a kid's perspective, too, that's what's kind of cool about what you're writing there. Kids use reality and fantasy at this age to make sense of what goes on for them. So what I, what I talk about a lot when I'm teaching teachers is helping children with emotional integration, meaning make sense of things emotionally. The kids can have an IQ of 150, but if they can't make sense of what goes on for them emotionally, they struggle. And having opportunities, giving kids opportunities and support to do that is so important. And one of the things that is sort of like the paradoxical upside of having to be home all the time has been more time and space for open-ended play. And that's something that kids so desperately need that's little by little been evaporating from their day-to-day -day life in typical times and from their school lives in typical times. We need to bring that back if we want our kids to thrive and do well. Most definitely. Most definitely. And that's something that, uh, and, that and that's what I, 
you know, what's so cool here is that, uh, you know, one of the things I got to say is, and I hope this comes out right. Um, a lot of times people who, who have written books about, uh, that are supposed to be for kids about an issue like COVID, it comes out more like a lecture with too much stuff in it. <laughs> and, yes. and that's not what happens in your book because you mentioned this stuff. And so you can, as an adult reading um, Lila or Jasmine, you, if you, you feel like, uh, um, instead what you've done is you've done a great job of making it, uh, um, it's not a lecture and it's not an, an, it's not adult, an adult telling you, um, oh, here's all these facts about this stuff. Instead, it's how, you know, it feels like how a family would be feeling, how a child would be feeling. And, uh, I would get, bet it would give you a lot of opportunity with students and such to be able to, and I mean, college, you know, people getting ready to be teachers and such to be able to, um, or young parents to be able to talk about, you know, how a child sees these things, you know, what it does to their world. When you read books like this to kids, and if you don't ask targeted questions, you ask open-ended questions, like, what do you think about that story? What that story reminds you of? Kids will tell you what the meaning is for them. And then you know what to read next <laughs> because you know what sense they've made of this and they'll tell you their own stories. And if they're in school, they can draw or write their own stories about it. And that kind of literacy dialogue is really valuable for children emotionally and also in terms of cognition and learning because it brings those elements together, which is the best way to learn. Otherwise, you're distracted all the time by what's going on <laughs> internally and around you. You know, one of the things I, I got to make sure I comment about is I love the use of the imagery. I mean, anyone who remembers as a kid playing and using their imagination to create friends and places where good stuff happens, you know, will identify with what Jasmine's doing. And uh, she's creating a group of friends and, and just making the best of the time out there. Is there any of you in this story? Um, I'm sure there is. <laughs> because I love to create. That's my favorite thing to do. Um, and I think I've done that since I was a little girl. Um, I've always been interested. I've always wanted to draw and make things and um, make little worlds. So I can remember that. And I don't think I've ever stopped doing this. I just do it at different levels over time. That's awesome. That's, that's cool. I was just, I was just curious because I, I was wondering if you put in any, you know, games or whatever you had played. You know, it's kind of like that, that whole area as she's starting to make that world and stuff made me think like when I was a kid, there's a front, I spent a lot of time in my grandparents' house while my mom was off working and my dad was off working and they, uh, um, and they had this Japanese plum tree out front. And what was cool about it was that it was easy to climb and you could get up in it. And, you know, I can only imagine when they had, they, they pretty much knew where to find me a lot of times, but you know, that, that became my, you know, um, starship enterprise that became, you know, <laughs> that was, that was the, just the different worlds that you climbed up in and they get friends over and, you know, you, you went to different worlds through that tree. And, uh, that's what that all made me think of is she's creating her friends out there and such. So good stuff. Having a, an oasis like that is priceless when you're a kid. Most definitely. <laughs> And I think the snow part was definitely me because I grew up in Cleveland and there was a lot of snow and I nice. love snow. I still love snow, unlike most New Yorkers, because I'm not driving around. In it. 
<laughs> right, right. That that's funny because you think about it. You know, as a child, you know, Jasmine's out there playing in the snow, and yeah, she doesn't have to deal with driving or worry about getting from place to place. She says has her has her world and her new friends. Yes. I like that. You know, one of the things I have to also say is that you know. We've talked about this before, and you've mentioned it. I mean, your use of materials for the backgrounds, the characters, the places in the... It, it, they're just awesome. I mean, can, can you talk about these, creature, these uh, pictures that you created? Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's ca- got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Well, I'll look at them and see if that helps me talk about them. So, okay, I'll talk about my sort of commitment to the idea that children need to create their own meaning, and we have to give them opportunities to do that. And I think for me and for everybody, our world changed like this, and we had to somehow make sense of it and figure out how to navigate it. And collage felt like a just right material for me to do that, to sort of put together the emotional elements and the reality elements of what um, children are experiencing and what I'm experiencing. So there's, um, I wish I could show people this instead of talk about it, but there's one image that's just a photo of a calendar with a big star on the day that Jasmine's grandma is going to be vaccinated. But most of the other illustrations are made with buttons, cloth, different kinds of papers, um, papers on top of papers, um, <laughs> leaves, um, just an assortment of materials that for me create like emotional texture. It feels like you can go into the picture. Um, and I, I like that feeling of being able to do that. And I think kids love that feeling. I think so too. And I think one of the things that's also very much apparent out of it is that it, it's not an exact, I mean, it, you, you can use your imagination to use those, the collage that you've created to know what, the places look like. I mean, it, you've, you've given us an idea, but then you can take it the rest of the way as the reader. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that is such a good invitation for kids to do that. Make it what you need it to be. Yeah, I think so. I think it's so neat because you, you use the cloth to make the images of the people and you get the idea. These are the people, but they're not perfect drawings of a person or something like that. And I, and the same with the, the outside world. I mean, it's, it, I just, I just really like that because you've used the clock. And I think that encourages a child to say, hey, I think I could do that. <laughs> I think that's neat. I had, a, I had a, someone's grandpa sent a review on Lila in the Land of the Littles. 
into the Amazon page where you can get the book and said that he's been reading it to his granddaughters. And ever since he's been reading it, they've made hundreds of things with buttons and cloth. And nice. how it reminded him of his own childhood, but that he would have never thought about giving his grandchildren those things in the age of technology. <laughs> Very nice. When you give children those things these days, they look at you like you're nuts. Like, huh? <laughs> right. What am I supposed to do with this? But when they get into it, something transforms. That's awesome. That's cool that uh, someone wrote in and, and talked about that because it, it really is. I mean, you see how it's used and you're like, hey, I, maybe I could do something like that. Well, can, can we use that as a segue just to kind of say, can you share your thoughts about encouraging kids to explore creative arts when dealing with stress? That is such a great avenue for them. Um, children need to be able to express stress in ways that communicate meaningfully. And they're not so good at the verbal sometimes. Even kids who are highly verbal, you know, who are very able to talk about other things like what happens in outer space and things like that aren't necessarily so good at verbalizing their emotional state or what's going on for them or what they're picking up from adults. Kids are sponges for adult worries and adult anxiety and for grief that adults feel. And they can, of course, feel it too if the loss is mutual. But Kids are holding a lot right now, and they need invitations and avenues to express things in ways that make it work for them. And creative arts is such an ideal um, solution for children, as well as play. Not the online kind, but the little people and things kind, or materials that you can make whatever you want out of them. I I love that. I think that... uh... You know, that's, you know, kind of going back to the, that uh, person writing in about, uh, you know, the uh, thoughts, you know, sharing with his grandchildren and such. uh, It's interesting because, uh, you know, one one of the things that gets lost in this technology world a lot is the encouragement of saying, you know, just let's let's unplug for a little bit (laughs) and, and uh, let's find out what you got around here that we could, uh, make something with or do something or let's make a new world or let's let's use that imagination that doesn't have anything to do with push pushing buttons to survive <laughs> don't run off the cliff or you know going around the track or whatever you're, you're playing but uh one of the things we do in erp which is an acronym for my bank street program is we use teddy bears in classrooms um to invite children to acknowledge the need for comfort and to express what they themselves might not feel ready to express so you know i'm not scared of anything i'm a big kid but my teddy bear on the other hand (laughs) nice doesn't like it when there's a fire drill or you know and all of that really helps the community feel a sense of warmth and connection and comfort as well as help teachers understand what's going on here with kids because kids aren't so good at holding stuff if they're if they have some degree of angst it comes out usually in some unwanted form in a classroom Um, so you need to give it invitations to come out in a, a 
way that works. That's awesome. I, you know, one of the things that uh, I want to make sure that we talk about is, uh, can we, we use this as a, as a way to transition into just a little bit about the importance of adults learning about child development, the, why it's important that they, they at least know something about it. So important. And every single collaboration, and we have collaborations, you know, big and small. Um, and every single one starts with a child development um, professional development session that focuses and goes from if you teach 10 year olds, we want you to know everything there is to know about 10 year olds, nine year olds, eight year olds, all the way down to tiny baby, because in the in that person is going to be all of those other ages and stages. And sometimes they're resolved, and sometimes they're not. And if you can only teach to the highest level where a kid can go, then those younger selves express themselves in outbursts or in withdrawal or in some way if they don't get a dialogue going. So we want parents and teachers to know um, what a younger presentation looks like, what issues are resonant for those age groups. And if kids don't have opportunities to resolve, because kids need partnerships for all of that developmental stuff. They don't happen to have opportunities when they're little, they're gonna need them when they're bigger. Um, and school is a great place to offer kids a second chance. It's really a lot of relief for parents to learn about child development because if you don't have other kids and you don't happen to have studied child development, then the things that kids typically do, like two-year-olds say no every five minutes, <laughs> that's what they do. Right. But if you're a parent, you don't know that and your sweet little toddler all of a sudden wakes up one day and says no, <laughs> then you worry think, oh my God, what's going on? But if you know that that's their mission in life to be different than you and to explore, you know, separating a little bit, then you go, oh, okay, you know, that's what's supposed to happen, and it's a huge relief. It's funny. There's a. I was in a store the other day, and you're watching these uh, this young couple dealing with uh, their child who has, you know, quite young, but uh, you know, prior in that two 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 year year old range, and. Uh, was really trying to control them by saying, no, I'm not going over there. And it was, it was, it was a standoff that was just, it was actually quite hilarious <laughs> because, you know, my kids are grown. <laughs> it's funny when you're not in it. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's like, I, I, definitely all I could help understanding a little bit more about it. Cause <laughs> when that, that happens the first time, it's like, wow, okay, what do we do here? <laughs> exactly. And yeah, that's always a, a time that is challenging for parents and certainly for teachers when it doesn't resolve. And it's okay for kids to say no is good because it means that they're separating and finding themselves, but parents can also say no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, they get to decide ultimately what's going to happen. Kids get to decide how they feel about what happens. So, you know, it's time to leave the playground and you've gone through it a couple of times with it, eventually you say, okay, it's late, it's dark, I have to make dinner, and you pick them up, they're portable, they scream, <laughs> and, you get to go home. and everyone is happy in the long run, because they're trying to prove that they're different, they're their own person, their own person feels differently than the adult, and it's proof, the adult is happy, they're screaming, ah, I'm not you, I'm my own person. It's, 
It's an interesting time, but understanding that it's got such a just the role that it plays, and the more you understand, I think uh, would really help you whether you're a parent or whether you're a grandparent or whether you're a teacher in a classroom. So good stuff. You know, Leslie, we're getting uh, close to finishing up. And uh, um, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Probably send them to um, emotionally responsive practice at Bank Street, which is on the Bank Street website. Um, You can put my name into the search or you can put ERP into the search. Um, You could email me at lcoplo, K-O-P-L-O-W, at bankstreet.edu. That's the easiest email address I have to remember. Um, And we, you know, that's how you could find me. If if you're into children's publishing, definitely find me, because I've been doing these books on my own just to get them out there, you know, during this time. But I would like to do a lot more of this, and I would like to find someone who likes that sort of author illustrator thing to work with but if you if you're thinking that you want support for your school um, these days we seem to be working with schools near and far because everything is still remote for professional development so um, you can let me know what your interest is very cool well i'll put those links and i'll put those the email address in the show notes so people will be able to find it easily so that'd be good stuff and i got uh, two last questions i want to ask you and and uh change this up since you've you've had had my other questions last time you were on so i got a couple different ones this time so if you had a chance to talk with a group of parents about children and the importance of play what is something that you would want them to remember from your talk remember that there's no such thing as just playing that playing is important for mental health, that kids need to use play, the way grown-ups use language. If something weighs on us, we talk to other people about it, and it helps. When something weighs on children, it helps for them to play about it, and it helps for them to have adult partnerships where they can share the meaning of what it is. They have to be in charge of the play. Um, and that is a gift to kids. That really supports their well-being forever. That's awesome. I love that message. Love it. Last question. If a parent or teacher wanted to learn more about child development and or children in play, do you have a resource or two that you would recommend? I should have looked at that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you should contact me and I'll send you some stuff. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you can go on to, um, you can go on to the Center on the Developing Child at Harvard website. And that has a lot of really great resources about development, about the impact of what's going on around kids and development, about parent, it has a lot of parenting stuff on it. Um, we use it a lot in our teaching. So that's one really good resource. Excellent. I'll put that link in the show notes as well as I just want to remind everybody that uh, the, your email address will be in there so that you could reach out. Uh, they could reach out to you if they'd like to f- follow up on some resources. So uh, thank you so much, Leslie. Uh, Leslie, thanks so much for talking with me today. Jasmine's Big Idea, a story for children in the time of COVID is an awesome, awesome story by itself that will help parents help their children deal with the issues of separation from family and friends. 
and so much more, as well as a great follow-up to the first book, Lila in the Land of the Littles. I, I think you have an awesome series here. I think kids and parents will enjoy it because it'll help them uh, help their child. And uh, good stuff. Wishing you the best in all you do, and thanks for being here again. Thanks so much for having me again. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.